0: Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled, Learning How to Let Go When Things Go Wrong, by Lama Kathy Wesley. Learning how to let go when things go wrong is a fundamental teaching of Buddhism. Lama Kathy talks about how the practices of shamatha meditation and Tong Len, Compassion Meditation, train us in the fundamentals of letting go. If you like our Dharma talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Take Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Uh, my name's uh, Kathy Wesley, and uh, I'm uh, I'm your substitute teacher this morning. Um, we just were having some trouble uh, techno- with technological things. Uh, uh, the uh, this uh, Restream platform is new to us, and so we're learning how to use it, and that means that there will be glitches. So thanks to all of you who were watching anyhow, and uh, really appreciate your uh, your patience as we try to put a, a webcast together for this morning. Uh, I, um, I'm thrilled to bits, uh, to be able to talk to you this morning. And if you have any questions or things that your curiosity is, um, is coming to, and, uh, and you would like to ask questions this morning, I'm here for Q and a for the next, I don't know, maybe half hour or so. So, um, you can put this in, in the chat on Facebook or YouTube, cause I think we're broadcasting on both this morning. So, um. I'm going to start with a short prayer. And uh, the prayer I'm going to be reciting is um, a prayer of taking refuge. And I'm going to recite it uh, in uh, Tibetan. And uh, if you know it, you can join in. And if you're unfamiliar with it, you can join in in your heart and in your mind.
2: And then I'll recite it a second time in English. O Sanjay Chudang Sochi Chona. La. JANG CHU PARDU DAN NI SU CHI DA JI JIN SO JI pe SU KI DRO LA PEN SHIR SANJAY DRU PAR SHO SANJAY CHU DAN SO CHI CHO LA JANG CHU PARDU DAN NI SU CHI In the Buddha, his teaching, and the order most excellent, I take refuge until enlightenment is reached.
1: By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of
2: all suffering beings. Now I'll recite another short prayer. Oh, Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm going to uh, continue
1: um, uh, talking about the, the practice of Bodhicitta, because Bodhicitta is our main training, and uh, our main training. Uh, is to um, change our mind through the practice of quiet sitting meditation where we become aware of our mind. And uh, through the practice of quiet sitting meditation, we learn how to be with uh, our thoughts, how to be with our emotions in a different way and how to engage with them in a different way. Uh, Because right now we're used to engaging in everything as though it were um, critically important. And this leads us to a lot of suffering because when, as uh, Pema Chodron said, when we cling to things so tightly, it's when we begin to feel the pain. And, uh, and this uh, fits with the Buddhist teaching on the Four Noble Truths. Suffering is part of life. Suffering has a cause, which is clinging and fixation and suffering has a solution, which is, um, to let go of, uh, of clinging in any way that we can learn how. And so. And so uh, the, um, the fourth of the 37 practices speaks to this letting go. And it says, um, uh, old friends and relatives will separate. Possessions gained with effort will be left behind. Consciousness, the guest, will leave the guest house of the body. To let go of this life is the practice of a bodhisattva. Um, I'm I'm touched by what this means to me in this in this particular moment, because we have lived in this life for so long, and we have been so invested in what we call reality and the things that we want for ourselves and our family and our loved ones, that it's really hard to imagine letting go of this life. And uh, but he's uh, pointing out in the very first two parts of this verse, that old friends and relatives will separate possessions gained with effort, will be left behind. And what he's getting at is that this this world we live in is a world of constant change. And as the world is constantly changing, then our ability to hold on uh, is, uh, is changing, and our ability to hold on seems to slip away from us. And so if we um, if we somehow are able to let go of our demand that the world be a certain way and be able to go along with the flow of life a little bit better and maybe feel happiness in the moment of where we are and who we're with and uh, make the effort to see that things are changing and that we are changing and that. Uh, if we can somehow go with the uh, the movement of this world, not meaning that we should not care about our value system. Of course, we have to maintain our value system. That's not what that's not what letting go is is about. We have to recognize that in this world, uh, we create our uh, our own happiness and suffering with our thoughts, feelings, and emotions, words, and actions. So what he's getting at here is if we recognize that impermanence is part of our life, if we recognize that that impermanence is part of our life uh, and we um, work to have a happiness that's within us, a happiness that's based not on external circumstance, but a happiness that's based on what's happening within us. um, I think that that is the, um, uh, that is the path that will lead us to more happiness because when we insist on things going a certain way and that tightness is ruling our being, we, we feel uncomfortable. Our body feels tight. Our mind feels tight. We feel um, upset uh, that things are not as we would like for them to be. But if we get the opportunity to take a breath, even just in our quiet sitting meditation, take a breath in, let a breath out, take a breath in, let a breath out. I mean, just that process, taking in a breath and letting out a breath. We don't take in that breath and just hold it. We have to let that breath out for the next one to happen. And so in a way, when we're holding on, we have to let go of that thing we're holding on to in order to move on to the next thing. And so um, it's hard to do for us because we're so invested in, and, and things going a certain way. But if we can let that breath out, take that breath in and let that breath out, I think we're going to be a little bit ahead of the game. And, uh, in the, in the practice of Bodhicitta meditation, what, what do we uh, visualize in Bodhicitta meditation, but goodness and love going out from us on the out-breath and removing the suffering of the world on the in-breath so being able to um, being able to um, take that uh, breath in and know that that suffering that touches us is universal it's our suffering it's everyone's suffering and having that meet our bodhisattva motivation uh, of purity, it purifies all of that suffering that we've taken in, and it dissolves into nothing and disappears. That's according to Kempo Kartharimba's teaching on Tonglen in his book Dharma Paths. He explains that on the outbreath you give happiness to all beings, and on the inbreath you remove their suffering. But that suffering doesn't uh, doesn't harm you. And he said the reason that suffering doesn't harm you is that it meets your bodhisattva motivation to be of benefit to others. And then when that suffering, uh, touches you, it dissolves into nothing and disappears. And so when you're able to practice to simply like that, uh, simply sending out goodness to others and removing their suffering, having it dissolve and disappear. And then in the next breath, letting out your goodness and to others, and then removing their suffering and having that dissolve and disappear doing this over and over and over again, we begin to see the impermanent nature of happiness, the impermanent nature of suffering, but the the lasting power of love and compassion because what are we training in? On the out-breath, we're training in love, giving happiness to others. And what are we training on the in-breath? On the in-breath, we're training in compassion. And so training on the out-breath in love, with love and the in-breath with compassion, and doing this over and over again, we are able to let go of our own interest in that moment, in that moment of breathing in the suffering, seeing it disappear, and then breathing out goodness. And look at the training that goes on in that instant. After you've breathed in the suffering, it dissolves and disappears, and in that next instant, you breathe out goodness. There's a transformation that happens in that instant. And that transformation is a form, a very powerful form of letting go. So, um, anyway, that's, um, that's something I wanted to share, uh, because I know that, um, that in the midst of, uh, trying to learn all of these new, um, uh, computer systems and trying to learn all of these new live streaming and, uh, technologies that we feel some frustration and we feel we wish that the world was uh, sort of different than it is and that all of our machines would be as efficient as we'd like for them to be and we can't have it that way because that's apparently not how it is Um, but we can at least develop the capacity when we feel that frustration to key into our breathing and practice letting go in that moment Letting our breath out, and being present with it; taking our breath in, being present with it. Or, if you prefer to do the tonglen compassion meditation, breathing out and giving happiness to beings, and breathing in and removing suffering from beings. Being able to do that in that moment, even if we can do nothing else. I mean, even if we are not uh, able to um, pull together all of our technological resources, and if we Uh, And no matter what's going wrong, in other words, where there is breath, there is life, and where there is breath, there is hope. And that moment of change happens in between the in-breath and the out-breath, that moment of change where we bring in the suffering in Tonglen, uh, let it disappear, allow it to disappear, and then give out happiness to others. So uh, this is how we train ourselves gradually and, and slowly and um, and so um, I know that we only plan to be uh, on the air until 1230 today. Uh, and it's about uh, uh, 15 minutes past the hour. And um, I have maybe one or two more things to say. But then I'd like for you to think about any questions you might have about letting go. And uh, or about anything else. You can ask questions about anything uh, in this new era of live streaming, I actually can see the comments and questions that appear both in YouTube and in Facebook. So if you have questions of any kind, you can start typing them now into um, Facebook or YouTube um, and and ask your questions. Uh, And uh, I'll be monitoring the chat here in just a minute. But um, going back to the 37 practices, uh, he talks about uh, he talks about what letting go is. Old friends and relatives will separate, meaning that um, we uh, we are always in a situation of change. Possessions gained with effort will be left behind. He's talking about the moment of death here, and we're maybe not quite ready to talk about that moment in our lives, or to even think about that moment in our lives. But every loss and every change and every reversal of fortune that happens to us, every uh, one of these reversals of fortune that happens to us is, I guess you could say, a small experience of death and impermanence. And if we can adjust to this moment to moment, uh, breathing and accepting, then we'll be able to work with even the greatest losses. Um, It will take time no loss is dealt with in an instant, but it can be dealt with a moment by moment by moment uh, in this way through meditation. So um, I'm hoping that this will help with the um, uh, with the understanding of verse four of the 37 actions of a bodhisattva. And uh, now that you've inspired me um, uh, a little bit from now and a little while from now, I'll try to put together a, um, uh, a, a video for the 37 actions of a Bodhisattva group on, uh, on Facebook, because uh, I think it's really, really amazing. Just the idea of letting go and what that means. So thanks. Thanks for that. I don't see any questions in the chat, uh, but um, we'll wait a second and see if any appear. Okay, yeah, uh, the question is, uh, could I tell a story about a time that I may have seen Kempo Kartho Rinpoche react to a big change in the moment? Uh, yes, um, uh, yes. So um, what I'm thinking, uh, I, I'm thinking of a couple of um, a couple of things in my mind. Um, I remember that one of Kempo Rinpoche's um, translators Uh, Nudrup Burkhar once told me that uh, Kemper Rinpoche viewed uh, us and the world as a sacred place. He saw, even though we all have our faults and failings, he saw us as Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. He said he was so, Kemper Rinpoche was so devoted to his practice, he said that he would either be uh, visualizing himself as, um, as a Tara, for example, and, uh, and the beings that he was interacting with as Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, or he would be thinking on a more relative plane of existence and thinking about strategically, how do I reach this person and how do I reach that person? So, uh, and so often, um, he he would exemplify this this sort of uh, serenity, or what we in America might call grace under pressure. And uh, I remember one time, um, he um, he saw me in the yard at the um, at the three year retreat center. And I was, uh, and there were workers coming in and out of the yard, and it was our vow not to be seen by outside people. So one of the vows of the three-year retreat is not to be seen by anyone outside of the retreat fence. And um, and what happened in that moment was that he saw that I was doing a circumambulation of the retreat house as exercise and as devotion. He saw that. But he also saw that a worker was around the corner and I didn't see the worker. And so he put up his hand and spoke to me gently, calling me by my name and then just saying, just wait. And what I liked about that was that this was an illustration for me of what Nudrup said, which is that he was always thinking, how can I interact with someone in the best way? And uh, and so, because he was in a place where he had practiced what's called the the Vajrayana principle called sacred outlook, where you key into and think about your own Buddha nature through the mechanism of visualizing yourself as a Buddha or a Bodhisattva, and then visualizing other beings as Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and interacting with them as though they already were buddhas and bodhisattvas. Now you and I can't imagine doing that, but this was his, this was his every moment to moment practice. And so he would do that, you know, he would do that. And, uh, and so he was very kind to me and gentle with me. He could have been, he could have been punitive or he could have shamed me for not paying better attention but instead of doing that, he he keyed into his compassion and just asked me like a parent waiting, asking a child to wait. He did that. So that's one example. And I have another one. Uh, uh, I was a member of the uh, KTD Board of Trustees for about uh, seven years. And we didn't always, the trustees didn't always see eye to eye on things. and uh, And one time there was a sharp disagreement. And he was sitting at the table and he was just very placid and serene. He waited for everybody to say their piece. And after and just I mean, he he didn't show a bit of emotion on his face. You know how it is when you're in a meeting and somebody's disagreeing with you and you'll you'll go tut tut or you'll roll your eyes or show some kind of displeasure. He didn't do any of that. He was just very, very calm. I always thought of him in this type of situation as being like a mountain, you know, he's just he's just there. And then when everybody had said their piece, he spoke gently and kindly and uh, always was able to take a view that was at neither extreme, but finding a way in the middle uh, to handle the disagreement in a way that um, made both people feel heard and also made both both people feel valued. And yet also demonstrating the power of having um, inner serenity in a moment of difficulty. And I think that he cultivated that inner serenity by just being present with his breath and his mind. And for so many years cultivating that sacred outlook that um, all beings uh, have Buddha nature. So uh, I don't know, but that's, that's th- those are a couple of things that I remember about Rinpoche. Uh, he really was quite amazing. And there's just, I think about it every day because uh, since he's passed away, we miss him so much. And um, And what I really, really miss is the fact that he knew everything, always. Always, uh, all the time. Um, so that was kind of amazing. So, are there any other questions? Yeah, it's it is a good story. Somebody commented, "It's a great story." I mean, we could uh, we could use the example of uh, Kemper Abaje's life to illustrate just about anything. Um, here we go. Here's a question. Could you please tell us how much time to dedicate to the four thoughts when starting a meditation session? Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I learned how to contemplate what are called the four thoughts that turn the mind toward Dharma. These are contemplations, not meditation. Contemplation is different from meditation. In meditation, you're just watching your breath and letting it go, watching your breath and letting it go, and so forth. It's just your cultivating and honing your attention to the breath but in contemplation you're doing something a little bit different you're using your intellect to think about a topic you're thinking about a topic and you're thinking about a topic in order to bring about a deeper understanding of that topic so contemplation is different and it will take a different amount of time for each person and it will take a different amount of time uh, one day to the next. So there's no set amount of time that you need to spend contemplating the four thoughts if you use the method that was described by His Eminence Tai Sitarupache. Uh, when Tai Sitarupache was teaching us how to contemplate the four reminders, he said that there are three parts to a contemplation. There's the uh, review. You're reviewing the situation, the the facts of the, of the contemplation. There's a recognition, which is only, it only lasts a moment where you recognize, yes, what I have been thinking about is true. And there, so you, you think about it, you have that moment of recognition, and then you move to the final part of the contemplation, which is making a resolution based on that contemplation. And I can give you an example. Um let's talk about the precious human birth that's the first of the four of the four thoughts that turn the mind toward Dharma precious human birth uh, impermanence karma and the defects of samsara are the four are the four um, thoughts that turn the mind toward Dharma so let's talk about the precious human birth if we do these three parts uh, I have a I have a a, a real life example of uh, of the three parts of a contemplation. I made this up, but maybe it'll help you. You know how it is when you're riding a bicycle up a hill, you're, you're pedaling and pedaling and pedaling and pedaling. And then suddenly uh, you get to the, uh, to the top of the hill. And then you go down the other side of the hill. Well, it, this is kind of like what a contemplation is. You spend the majority of your time pedaling up that hill and which you think uh you you can get a text and review what the text has to say about the precious human birth and if you read the texts they say such things as we are so fortunate to be in this life that we have now because we could have been born anywhere anytime anyhow and yet here we were born here at this time where we could actually meet the dharma understand it and practice it wow how fortunate so That's the kind of thing you do at the beginning, at the beginning of a contemplation, you're peddling and peddling and peddling. And so you're reviewing it. And then at some point while you're reviewing that precious human birth information, you might say, you know, it's really true. And that's the crest of the hill. It's really true. I actually do have a precious human birth. So review is part one. You're reviewing, 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 going up the hill. And then recognition is the top of the hill like wow it's really true and then after you recognize that it's really true then you go down the other side you go down the other side of the hill and uh, go down the other side and make the resolution i must practice the dharma which is the uh, which is the resolution for all four of the four thoughts that turn the mind toward dharma the, the the resolution is always the same i must practice the dharma and you see that doesn't take long to do that so if you can do that that would be fantastic i hope that answers your question uh then um let's see do you have any recommendations how to keep the four thoughts that turn the uh, mind fresh sometimes my contemplation seems to be rote and lose impact when i do it every day yeah, I understand that. And I think keeping it brief is probably your best bet. Even if you don't feel that it's super fresh, if you keep it short, it has the potential to be super fresh. And uh, and so when you are actually doing it, before you start the, the contemplation, think that you're in the presence of your guru, uh, who, uh, who you could visualize as the Buddha made of light. And think that you're in the presence of your guru and ask, for your guru's blessing, and then imagine that your guru shines light upon you, and so forth, and gives you the capacity to actually do the practice you're about ready to do. Kembrembache did that for us one time when uh, he was giving us a reading transmission. We had just finished lunch, and so we were still we still had our minds roiling with all kinds of thoughts. And he sat us down and he said, "Just imagine now for just a moment." that the Buddha is present in front of you and that he's shining light, golden light upon you. And he's removing any obstacles and obscurations to your capacity to hear this transmission. And he's removing any obstacles and obscurations to that. And so I think that if you ever feel like you need a little bit of a, a refresh on your practice to make it more fresh to make it um, to make it more make your make it more present for you that would be one thing you could do is start with a little bit of guru blessing from your from your guru and then even if you're covering old territory on your on your contemplation of the four thoughts peddling up that hill uh, you can You can try to think of real life examples of how fortunate you are when something could have gone wrong but it didn't and here you are still in this life and still have the capacity to practice dharma you might even think about a misfortune and say you know but i survived that misfortune and here i am even if it's just a a tiny moment of recognition of wow that is i really do have a precious human life and then you go down the other side where you, uh, where you start uh, thinking, where you think, I must practice the Dharma. And it doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to um, move heaven and earth. It just has to move your heart in the moment to, to let you know. where You're basically letting yourself know that practice is a really good use of your time. And I don't know if this uh, addresses, addresses it. Another thing that you might do is only do one a day um like you do the precious human birth one day the next day you do impermanence next day you do um karma and the next day you do the defects of samsara you can also see uh, the impact of uh impermanence and how fortunate you are in your everyday life so when good things happen to you rejoice and make the aspiration that good things happen to all beings and so hopefully i don't know if that will help a little bit um uh, but in any um in any event that's hopefully uh helpful um okay let's see okay yeah give it a try and then let me know how it works and then uh, grant is asking to wish uh wish his best friend a happy birthday ah so dan i love it this is great i feel like i'm on prairie home companion do you remember that that old radio show they used to give people's birthdays and shout outs during the intermission wild right so there you go <laughs> So thanks. Well, uh, I have time for one more question. If there's one more there. Okay. Not seeing. So, um, we'll sit quietly for just a moment and, uh, mentally, uh, dedicate the goodness of our session today, uh, to all sentient beings and to, um, the freedom from obstacle uh, for all beings and that all beings have the capacity to practice. And I want to thank all of you for being here and for your patience as we work through the glitches in this broadcast. Um, so thank you very much. We dedicate this merit to all suffering beings and with our mind, we share this goodness with all beings. all right thanks everyone have good practice this week and then we'll see you back here next sunday for another dharma talk so omari pay me Hong. thank you
0: thank you for joining us for this week's dharma talk we hope you enjoyed the podcast if you did please subscribe rate and review it on itunes To learn more about the Columbus Karma Karmateksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.